Welcome to the Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. We're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. Pastor Bob teaches line by line and verse by verse from the Word of God. Now, let's join this week's Sunday Morning Bible Study, already in progress. Well, good morning once again. For those of you that are just tuning in on the internet to listen, we welcome you to the 10 a.m. service of Whitestone Christian Fellowship here in upstate New York, here in the grand old USA. If you would, uh, uh, in, our, in our bulletin, there's a, uh, well, it's not a typo, I, I changed it up. Our reading this morning is from Psalm 51. Uh, Verses 8 through 11, we will read together. So please join me with Psalm 51, beginning at verse 8. Make me to hear your joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, put out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from Thy presence, and take not Thy Holy Spirit from me. This is a psalm that David wrote. David was well aware of his sins. He was well aware of the problems in his life, the iniquities, and he was also aware that He wanted to serve God. He was a man after God's own heart, the Scriptures tell us. Not a perfect man, because there are no perfect men. All of mankind has been corrupted by the flesh, by the temptations that we see around us, by the distractions from the truth of God's Word. And yet, David says, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. It's almost, a, it's almost a cry of desperation. Because David knows that without God and without his wonderful spirit leading, David would have no victories at all as the nation of Israel was continuing to grow and develop. When we speak about the Holy Spirit in the church, we are well aware of the doctrine, the Christian doctrine of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the wonderful three in one. And God designed all of that and uses all of it so that we can not only get to know Him, but we can get to experience Him, even though even the Lord Jesus is not here on the earth anymore. But what we have to understand is in the Old Testament, they were still waiting for Jesus' first advent, His first coming to earth. David reminded us in, in the first, in that, uh, in that 51st Psalm that There is a Holy Spirit. And we read of Him quite often because He's mentioned as the Spirit of the Lord or the Spirit of God throughout the Old Testament. But to assign assign the title of the Holy Spirit, we have to acknowledge then that there is one that is an unholy spirit. And He's not God. He is God's enemy. This morning we're going to uh, we're going to look at uh, Ephesians. We're going to read through Ephesians chapter four, those last few verses from where we left off last week. Ephesians four, thirty to thirty-one. Paul has been teaching, instructing correcting the church at Ephesus. He has been giving them doctrine repeatedly. 
And this is so important because Paul's, Paul's epistles, all of them, are filled with doctrine. And that is his goal, is to teach the truth of God's Word. And that's what doctrine is. It's truth that we find in God's Word. But the Ephesians had wandered. There's even verses in some of the hymns that we sing. We tend to wander. We tend to get distracted. We tend to see the things of this life and this earth through our own eyes rather than the eyes of the Savior. And so with the promise of the Holy Spirit, which we'll look at in a minute, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and to all of us. And he says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. If you're not feeling forgiven, then you're not in the Word. If you're not feeling changed by the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're not reading with the understanding that God intended us to have. In verse 30, when he says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit, how do we grieve Him? Well, He comes comes as an advocate for us. That word advocate comes from the Greek parakletos, where we get the English word the paraclete. And we grieve the Holy Spirit by being and holding on to bitterness. We grieve Him when our anger turns to wrath acting out against our fellow human beings. We grieve Him when we hang on to anger and we like to live clamorous lives. We grieve Him with our tongue, with evil speaking. In Matthew, it tells us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what is it that's in our heart that causes us to act and to speak in this way? He says evil speaking. Let it be put away from you with all malice. Hate it. That's what that is saying. Think of the evil speaking. Think of the clamor, the anger, the wrath, and the bitterness. Think of it with malice and hate. Because we don't want that in our lives. Because that affects all of our relationships, including our relationship with the Father, the Son, and even, and perhaps especially, the Holy Spirit. You know, when we're, when we're involved with those things, we are in sin. We are in sin because we're focused on ourselves. We're focused on the me. And God says focus on Him. Focus on His holiness. And I think that's one of the things we need to remember as we're getting into this Christmas season because... This is a tremendously uproarious season of the year. There's partying. There's all kinds of things going on. Distractions. Gift giving. Good grief, we put trees in our houses. They're pretty. They're a distraction but they're also part of an ancient pagan ritual that centers around Saturnalia, the end of harvest season, 
and people would bring in their Yule logs and their evergreens. Because even in Israel, they have four seasons and they see the snows coming. They see the harvest fields covered over. They're not going to be growing anything. And the, the trees turn to brown and the leaves wither. I remember a story of a, of a woman that came to the United States after, after the Vietnam War. And she came during the late fall and early winter and she said, what happened here? She said, why are the trees all brown and leafless? They look like they're dead. And of course, those that were helping to support her and get her on her feet said, just hang around for a few months. They'll all come back and they'll be beautiful green again. They just don't grow in the wintertime. That's what we're waiting for. We're always waiting for spring. We're always waiting for new growth. We hate to see dead things. And if our lives are like this, are represented by these things, the bitterness, the wrath, the anger, the clamor, the evil speaking, if our lives are reflected in those things, then our lives are dead. That is not life. That is not joy or peace. Especially not peace. And the Lord told us, I came to bring you peace. I came to bring you joy. An abundance of it. Well, where does that come from? It comes from the Father of peace. In John chapter 14, we have a wonderful, wonderful picture of the Holy Spirit and the Son and the Father all wrapped up in a few verses. This is spoken just before the Last Supper. And Jesus is trying to encourage them because He's already been talking to them about leaving them. And in verse 16 of John 14, He says, And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever. Well, that's a, that's a promise that I want to embrace. If my best friend, my favorite teacher, my loving Lord is going to leave my presence, then a different comforter is going to come and abide with me forever. He'll never leave. He can grow quiet if we grieve Him, but He'll never leave if we align ourselves with Him so this other comforter, he's not identified yet. He says, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him. Speaking to the twelve, you know him. You've witnessed his works. He's changed your lives. You've experienced him. The world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. This is an interesting verse because we know that there are many different religions that do not believe in the Trinity. They believe in neither the Spirit nor the Son. Call them Trinity deniers. There's even, there's even a few so-called fringe churches that call themselves Christians but deny the Holy Spirit and the Son as the Son of God. They like Jesus' teachings. And they like what He's able to do through the power of the Holy Spirit. But they don't believe that they are worth that that the Son and the Holy Spirit are worthy of worship like we worship the Father. 
They don't believe that the Holy Spirit is even sometimes a person. They believe that He's a force. Or He's a power. Or He's an essence that comes from God. But that's not what this verse says. Listen to how many times the personal pronoun is used. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth Him not. Neither knoweth Him, but you know Him, for He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Those are personal pronouns, and it's even assigned to a male person. We don't use personal pronouns when we're not talking about people or a person. So the Holy Spirit is clearly a person according to this verse. He says in verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Well, how does that work? You're talking about leaving us, Lord. And you say you won't leave us comfortless. You will come to us. There's a unity between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And that unity is found in the Trinity along with the Father. In verse 19, he says, Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but you shall see me because I live, you shall live also. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me. Now, we have to understand, Jesus is speaking these words, but these are clearly the words of the Father. The unity of the Holy Trinity is without question in the Christian faith. It's not something we can define. It's not something we've ever experienced anywhere else or in any belief system, any other belief system in the world. He that, he that loveth me, he will keep my commandments. He it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, this is Judas the Judah, the Lord's half-brother, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself to us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Here's a promise for this comforter that's coming. Jesus coming in spirit form with the Comforter and the Father coming along with both of them. Inseparable and yet individual. How can that be? It's one of the mysteries of our faith. But it's something that we can count on. When we drop down to verse 26 of John 14, it says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Here in these, here in these few verses, we've got We've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all one acting in unison, acting together to indwell the believer. And even as it just said here in verse 26, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. 
The Holy Spirit is here in us and in our lives, indwelling us, and His role as the, as the third person of the Holy Trinity is to teach us everything and to bring our minds back to remembrance of what Jesus has taught us. Jesus' teachings are the teachings really from the Old Testament because there was no New Testament then. The Jews who Jesus was preaching to and the priests that he was debating with, they were debating over the Scriptures of the Old Testament. And we already know that the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord, was there in the Old Testament. So that's the role of the Holy Spirit. To teach us. He's going to teach us the things of God. He's going to teach us the things of the world. And it's up to us to receive His gift of discernment so that we know the difference. Because we know that Satan is there walking about the earth seeking whom he may devour. Just like he devoured Eve in the Garden of Eden. He tricked her. He tricked her. He gave her a question with just a little bit of truth to it. But he didn't explain the whole thing to her. That's the deceiver. What I want to know, I want to know about is the Holy Spirit. The one who doesn't deceive. The one who loves and teaches and reminds me of the things that the Son has taught. John speaks of Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. It's important for us to remember and to desire those things. To know Him. To experience the Holy Spirit. In, second, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and finish with John 14 before we go there. <clears throat> we just finished with verse 26 of 14. And I'm going to ask you to go down to verse 26 of chapter 15. And there Jesus is still speaking and He says, And when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father. <laughs> he just got done telling us that the Father would send Him. And now He's saying, I will send Him from the Father. There's the unity of the Son with the Father. Verse 26 again, When the Comforter has come, who I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, He shall testify of Me. And you shall bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. That's what he's speaking to those, those apostles that were with him at the Last Supper. And probably many of the disciples as well. There were many of the disciples that were there with Jesus from the beginning while he walked this earth. But here's another one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. He shall testify of me. He shall testify of Jesus. Now over in chapter 16, turn the page. In verse 12, Jesus says, because he knows that the, whole, that the, that the apostles are not, to, not prepared to hear everything that he has to say to them. He says, I have many things in verse 12. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot receive them now. Howbeit, when He, here's that personal pronoun again, the Spirit of truth is come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself. But whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you all things to come. 
He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. The role of the Holy Spirit is never to teach of himself or point us to himself only. He is going to testify of Jesus and our spirits, our human spirits, are going to find agreement with what Jesus is telling us through the Spirit, through the Spirit of truth. We speak of we speak of the gifts of the Spirit frequently. And the Holy Spirit has many, many gifts that He gives to individuals. But over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 to 12 are quite telling. Verse 9 says, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. We haven't seen those things. And until Jesus came to the earth, nobody ever heard of those things either. The things that God has prepared for man. There's all kinds of prophecy that we're, we're watching being fulfilled now, but how much prophecy has been fulfilled just since Jesus was walking the earth? Not to mention the prophecies that were, filled in, were fulfilled in the Old Testament. Nobody ever heard those things before except through Scripture, through God's Word. Verse 10, it says, But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth, these, knoweth the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now you have, not, you have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that you might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Now this is in a letter to the church of Corinth. So Acts of the Apostles are in the process of taking place as Paul went around and taught throughout Asia and the Greek Isles. But he says, you Corinthians in the church, this is what you've received. You've received that spirit of truth. And he searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. And it's also interesting, if you would drop, drop down a few verses, that there's a, special, there's a special thing to receive the Holy Spirit from God. Because in contrast, there is a natural man, one who thinks naturally, experiences naturally, doesn't understand the Holy Spirit, may not even be aware of the Holy Spirit. In fact, that was one of the problems in the early part of Ephesus. They had a teacher there by the name of Apollos. And when Paul got there, he said, have you received the Holy Spirit yet? And the church at Ephesus responded to Paul and said, well, we haven't even heard that, there's a, that there is a Holy Spirit. They might as well have been looking at him crosswise and saying, what are you talking about? We haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit yet. Paul asked them, well, to what baptism were you baptized? Well, we were baptized to the baptism of John, which is a baptism only of repentance. Only of repentance. In other words, denying yourself. You know, that's part of the Christian life, but it's not the whole of Christian life. It's a thing that we do. And so denying self becomes a work. A good work. But good works don't save us. 
And if a, if a corrupt vessel does a good work, there's really no benefit. For even the heathen do good works. Even the atheists do good works. The pagans did good works. But that's not what the Christian life is about. So Paul is saying to the Ephesians at that time, he's saying, you really need the Holy Spirit. And so Paul baptized 12 men again, the leaders of the church at Ephesus. He rebaptized them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And immediately they began to speak in tongues. They began to receive the gifts. And their, their understanding was refreshed and renewed in the truth of Jesus Christ. In verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 2, it says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not going to see what the Lord is trying to tell us spiritually through His Word about ourselves, about Him, and perhaps most importantly, about our own, our own weaknesses and temptations that come from the world. There's no permanent changes in a person's life unless the Holy Spirit is active and invited to participate in that life. In other places in the epistles and even in the gospel, Jesus says, ask for the Holy Spirit and the Lord will not withhold from you. He won't withhold. If we ask God for His Holy Spirit and that Spirit is unified with the Son and the Father, God is thinking, wow, He wants all of me. Not just my forgiveness. Not just the victory over death. He wants victory over daily life as well. And that only comes through the Holy Spirit in the fullness of God. In 1 Corinthians also, verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 11, now I'm going to go back to verse 12. No, I'm sticking with 11, sorry. Paul is explaining the gifts of the Spirit to the church. He speaks of gifts of healing, gifts of teaching, the spirit of discernment. He's speaking of all of these things. And he says in verse 11, but all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing every man severally as he will. We ask for the gifts of the Spirit, and the Lord already knows, God knows, the Spirit knows our personalities, our character. He knows who we're going to run into during the course of our lives. He knows what gifts are going to be the most useful to us as individuals. And not everybody gets all the gifts, but everybody gets severally according to what the Holy Spirit knows about us, what God knows about us. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ." We speak of the church as being the body of Christ with many members and each of us being given a variety of gifts so that within the body there is a fullness of gifts. And he looks at these, Paul looks at this and he says, okay, now look at yourselves. What are the members of your body? 
Well, I have feet, I have legs, I have a torso, I have a heart. I've got two hands and two arms, two eyes, two ears. Which is really interesting about the ears. Because my ears never fellowship together. The only time they even have a picture of one another is when I'm looking in the mirror. And if our ears can see, then that's the only time they fellowship with one another. But what's really interesting is that when each ear individually, these two members, when they are working together, when they are fulfilling their roles in our lives, the rest of the body has balance so that we can walk, that we can run, so that we can take ourselves places, so that we can just stand up vertically or sit upright because it's our inner ears that give us balance. And so when all of the body's parts work together in harmony, fulfilling their individual roles, there's a balance to the body of Christ. And Christ is balanced because Christ is perfect. He's perfect. Back in Romans chapter 15, we find a verse in, we find a, a passage in verse 30. He tells us what one of our roles is for him within the body of Christ. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Well, this is still Paul speaking. But he says, strive. Work towards these things. Intercede. For the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Paul is asking for prayer. He's writing to the Romans. And while he's in Rome, he is imprisoned. He's under house arrest. And it's important for us to know that while he was under house arrest, he was still allowed to teach God's Word. And he would receive visitors and a small congregation. And he would, he would minister to them all of the things of God. In Isaiah chapter 63, verse 10 says, But they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Vexed, to vex the Holy Spirit is to also grieve him. Fall back into your old ways. But they rebelled and vexed His Holy Spirit. Therefore, He, the Holy Spirit, was turned to be their enemy and He fought against them. Now there was a promise in the Old Testament that they would, they would be sent the Spirit. But they didn't like the idea of the Holy Spirit. Because what does the Holy Spirit do when we're examining our own hearts? He convicts us. Now, how many here enjoy conviction? <laughs> Nobody enjoys conviction. Because suddenly we're aware of our own sins 
and the ways that we're displeasing God. It says, but they rebelled. And Isaiah is, is here in the midst of providing warnings and teachings as Israel and Jerusalem is under attack and they're being carried off to Babylon. They were given choices and they chose the easiest path for themselves. They chose the easiest path for themselves. Not the easiest path for God to work in them. The easiest path for their own survival. They were not the warriors. They're not the warriors of God. That's what the name Israel means. Soldier of God. Soldier of God. And they were just looking out for their own self-preservation. They said, oh no. Our enemies are not going to come after Jerusalem. They're not coming after Judah and Benjamin. We've got the temple. Because they worshipped the temple. It was a great temple. But they worshipped it rather than the one who was supposed to reside there. I'm going to take you back into the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 4. In verse 1 it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. An essence doesn't speak. A power or a force doesn't speak. Persons speak. And in this case, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the later times, so he's getting into prophecy. This, the Holy Spirit speaks of prophecy. In the latter times, some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats, which God created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believeth and knoweth the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the Word of God and with prayer. Seducing spirits. Those are men who are still speaking and thinking and seeing and hearing as the natural man. They are not fulfilling anything except themselves. Back in the Old Testament for a verse, in Nehemiah, and you'll find Nehemiah right after Ezra in the front section of the Old Testament, in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 20, it says, Thou gavest also thy good spirit to instruct them. <laughs> Here's this Old Testament, Nehemiah, and he's speaking of the Holy Spirit, the good spirit. Not the evil one, the good one. Thou gavest also thy good spirit to instruct them. And withheldest not thy manna from their mouth, and gavest them water for their thirst. He's speaking of the provisions that the Lord made for the Jews as they fled Egypt in the Exodus. Thou gavest also thy good spirit to instruct them. And you remember what they were like? They were a rebellious people. They had manna every day. And yet, they grew tired. 
of manna. Manna bread, manicotti, manna whatever it may be. All the different ways they could cook it. All they had to do was go out and harvest it in the, in the fields, wherever they were. It was fresh every day. And they couldn't keep it for overnight because it would spoil so quickly. But after so many weeks and months of eating nothing but, a, but manna, which was a perfect food provided for them by God, they grew tired of it and they said, oh, we want meat. Send us meat, Lord. We want something different. Dissatisfaction with what the Lord is providing for us is a recipe for trouble. Because God did send them what they wanted. Remember the Burger King commercial, Have It Your Way? Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce. Special orders, don't upset us. That's what the Jews were doing. They were tired of the manna and they wanted meat. Please send us meat. And so the Lord sent them quail. Sent them flocks of quail. But there was no refrigeration. They were out in the middle of the desert, the wilderness. They didn't necessarily have all the salt provisions for preserving the meat. And when they ate it, thousands of them got sick and thousands of them died because of their dissatisfaction. But they learned their lesson. They would be satisfied with the manna from that point on. Because so many people, so many of their families, so many of the tribes and their loved ones had died from the quail. Being dissatisfied with what the Lord provides for us on a daily basis shows that we are unthankful for those things. In first, where was I? That was Nehemiah. I've got to go to 8. Sorry, I have all these markers in my Bible. In Acts chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. Now they that had gone through out Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. This is interesting. The Holy Spirit protects us. In His guiding us, He also forbids us to go certain places where we thought we had our, we had our plans all made. The Holy Spirit's not a, not a travel agent for us. He's a travel agent for God. And we may have plans to go someplace and the Holy Spirit says, uh-uh, no. I want you someplace else. There's a greater need. And when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy, Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Messiah, they essayed to go to Bithynia but the Spirit suffered them not. Oh, you don't want us to go to... A okay, we'll go to Bithynia. No, you're not going there either. You're thinking like a natural man. The Holy Spirit interrupted their travel plans. And their plan B, too. And passing by Messiah, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night... And there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. When we are forbidden to, to go th places or do things of our own mind and our own will, it's the Holy Spirit saying, I've got something better for you. 
something because of the gifts that you have, I know you're going to have a successful outreach if you go to Macedonia. And after having seen the vision, we immediately endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course unto Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and then from thence to Philippi, where he ministered to the first person he found, a woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, who had gathered along the side of a river to pray. He went immediately to a prayer meeting. And he began to teach her and the women that were with her. God doesn't care what gender we are as long as we're the gender that we were born with. He doesn't care if we're a man or a woman. He wants to minister His love and His forgiveness to us. And He did that. He did that by coming to earth. What we're celebrating this month, His birth in Bethlehem. And living for 33 years, the last three of which were ministering to people all over Israel, all around the Sea of Galilee, to each of the cities around the Galilee, and in Jerusalem, where the tribes would gather three times a year according to the requirements of the law, and he would teach there in the temple. But at the end of that time of teaching, he would be accused falsely. He would be put to death. And that's what we're celebrating with communion. The betrayal. The hope. The resurrection. And the new life that follows. A life that is hopefully spirit-led and truly spirit-fed for all of us, for our sake. So per our usual, uh, our usual process, we're going to take a couple of minutes to, uh, to just speak to God quietly, ourselves. If there's something you want to ask God, if there's something you need to confess, if there's something you need clarity on, if there's something else that you, you need, that the Holy Spirit can provide for you, then now's the time to bring it up to Him in this, these quiet moments. And then when you're, when you're ready, you can come up and you can serve yourself from the communion trays. There's a, a, a tray of little cups of grape juice and another tray of broken crackers that represent His broken body and His blood shed for all of us. Come. Um.
In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 23, Paul is speaking to the church, a church that was primarily out of order. They started to have communion as a communion feast, kind of like a potluck. And people would come early before everyone else arrived and they would start to eat the food. They wouldn't wait for communion to be shared with everybody. And so his correction here is, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also, he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. This is a teaching of, of the Eucharist, but it's also a teaching of order. That when he had given thanks, he began to share the, the bread. And then he would share the wine. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. We have a God who is a God of order, a God who is of love, of forgiveness, and hope for our future. So as we participate in taking these emblems together, we do show the Lord's death until he comes again and reveals himself to the world alive and well. And when he does come again, the Jews will see him and their eyes will be opened and they will see him for who he is, the one that they put to death and executed for the sins of the world they will recognize. It's an, important, it's an important thing that we partake of these together. We want to show the Lord's death until He came. We want to show the Lord's forgiveness through His crucifixion. And then we want to show the Lord, the risen Christ, alive and well, and calling us unto himself. Let's partake of these, these emblems together. Paul, can that last, uh, can that last song be queued up again? In the Gospel of Matthew, it tells us as it records the Last Supper that when they were leaving, before they left the upper room, they sang a song. And it's, it was a song of invitation, but it was a song of 
embracing. It was a song of looking forward. And at this point, Jesus is looking beyond the cross to the joy that awaits him still yet in the future. But even the joy of us as he builds his church. You'll find the lyrics to this uh, to the song on the uh, the last page of your song sheet.
Christ the King Come and live As we drive out the driveway, our mission field begins. So walk with Jesus this week, wherever you go. Take the Holy Spirit with you. Take the fullness of God with you. From Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2, God, be merciful to us and bless us, and cause His face to shine upon us, that Thy way may be known upon earth Thy saving health among all nations. God bless you. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. We're getting closer and closer to Christmas. Don't let the hectic schedules make you crazy. Just remember Jesus, because he's the goal. Have a great week in the Lord. Thank you for listening to the Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. To access the list of teachings or to check the archives for Pastor Bob's weekly observations column, log on to brightstonecf.com. There you can also check the weekly schedule and any upcoming events. To contact us or to drop a note to Pastor Bob, you can email us at whitestonecf at gmail.com or call us at 585-924-8820. Whitestone Christian Fellowship is a non-denominational congregation. Every Sunday, Pastor Bob walks us through the Bible, teaching line upon line and verse by verse. And we're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. And if you're in the area, we invite you to visit us. From upstate New York, Pastor Bob encourages all of us to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. Until next time, remember that Jesus is our victor. Stay close to him.